Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yelton, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. It is the Thursday, week 11 edition of the podcast. That means a pregame six-pack for the Cardinals coming to town on Sunday. That means a little for real or fugazis that we'll do to take a look at some of the other topics going on around the world of sports. And the big news yesterday was Deshaun Watson out for the season for the Cleveland Browns. That affects the Texans in multiple ways that we're going to dig into in just a moment here. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast, Sports Radio 610, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., uh, Monday through Friday. Joined, as always, by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. John, how we doing? Doing great today. Thank you. Uh, better than Deshaun Watson, I would assume. Uh, Deshaun Watson yesterday, about 8 o'clock, right before you joined uh, Seth Payne and myself on Payne and Pendergast, news coming down from the Browns that Deshaun Watson is out for the season with shoulder surgery. He broke a bone in his shoulder in the Ravens game on Sunday, in addition to a high ankle sprain. So the Ravens left him beaten up and battered and done for the season. John, when you got that news, when you saw that news, there's there's multiple ways this affects the Texans. What was the first one that popped into your head? The uh, draft picks. They have the first and fourth round picks from the Browns left from the trade, primarily for three ones. And I thought about that and how it should be a better pick. They never Deshaun had stayed healthy, but Watson's been hurt most of this season. And the best he'd played was in the second half Sunday in the comeback victory over Baltimore. But he'd been up and down anyway. They've won, not because of him, because of great defense and a running game in which they've done a tremendous job without Nick Chubb. Yeah, I, John, my feeling on this after – I'm with you. The same very first thing I thought of was the draft pick just because that's the – that's kind of what we've been conditioned to do over the last couple of <clears throat> couple of years is with the Browns is, you know, root, root against them so the draft pick is higher. So part of that is just a Pavlovian thing where I feel like anything Browns-related, I immediately – my brain immediately goes there. There's obvious impact on the playoff race. The Browns are ahead of the Texans right now at 6-3 and three and the 6th seed. The Texans are 5-4. and four. And the seventh seed, they play each other on Christmas Eve. There's obviously an impact there as well. John, am I crazy? I think the Browns still have a decent chance of making the postseason. As you pointed out, they're 6-3, and and none of it's because of Deshaun Watson. Now, he is – obviously, his bad football is probably still about the same or better than what you're going to get out of either Dorian Thompson-Robinson or P.J. Walker. But they've got eight games left. I looked at the schedule. They don't have a ton of hard games left. They've played Baltimore both times already. Only two games in the division remaining out of the six. I think they can win nine games, John, Cleveland. I think they can win nine or ten because yeah. they're built like they always are to win in bad weather, defense mm-hmm. and running the game. Running game. Their offensive line is really good. And um, they're going to have a lot of bad weather when they play at home, when they play division. And uh, I think 
that uh, this will kind of galvanize the team and they'll be in the playoff race. Don't think they're going to win the division, but they can definitely be a wild card. And I think right now, Sean, that the Texans are going to win the AFC South and uh, and uh, they won't have to worry about the Browns trying to compete for a wild card. Wow. Okay. Well, you're kind of showing your cards there a little bit, John, as far as this Arizona game goes. So you think the Texans are going to win the you, – you're, 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 uh, you got the Texans winning the AFC South as of right now. I do. They got three in a row at home. Of course, they play Jacksonville and what be the biggest game of the season, biggest game since they played since the playoffs in 2020, uh, January 2020. And so I think for sure they're going to be – not for sure. I think they're going to beat the Jag- Jaguars. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to win these three, have a five-game winning streak. They've got the tiebreaker, and I think it'll be close, but I think they're going to win the division right now. They got something special going on. Yeah, dude, if they win three in a row, CJ's going to be, I mean, he's already in the top five on the odds board for the MVP. If they win three games, including taking control of the division heading into December, look the hell out. Um, then you're going on you're going on the road to New York after that. That game now is being rumored to possibly be shifted to Monday Night Football. We'll get into that in For Real or Fugazi a little bit later. Um, but yeah, John, it's, all the things that we talked about leading up to that Cincinnati game was about opportunity. And if they win that Cincinnati game, the opportunity that presents itself now for them to do something that really galvanizes the city and gets back behind the Texans again. We're here. That's where we are right now. You know, this Arizona game, very winnable game for the Texans that you and I are going to preview here in just a second. I guess just to put a bow on Deshaun, if you were a Browns fan, would you be more distraught about what this means to this season or concerned about Deshaun in future seasons, given the nature of the injury? I think it'd be more distraught about this season because they thought they had a chance to win the AFC North. Maybe they will anyway. But shoulder operations, if you handle them right and you rehab them right, there's no reason to think he won't. You're a fan. You're going to worry about it next year, but I think you're more worried about the immediate. Yeah. Boy, they were – John, I was listening in on Cleveland radio, and they were – it was like death in the family kind of stuff on on Wednesday when that news – when that news came down. Um, so Dorian Thompson Robinson, that's going to be the starter this weekend against the Pittsburgh DTR. Steelers. DTR, I'd imagine the Steelers are licking their chops at the thought of DTR under center instead of uh, Deshaun coming off a half where he was 14 for 14. That's pretty impressive, John. He went 14 for 14, and he had a broken bone in his shoulder in the second half of that football game. And he had a bad ankle. Yeah, yeah. It looked like he was finally turning the corner. Um, so we'll talk more about Deshaun and for real or Fugazi as well. The financial ramifications are jarring if you're a Browns fan on, on how much they still have left to pay or how much, how many, how many dollars, how many millions of dollars they have paid to Deshaun already in cash, but have not recognized yet on the salary cap shoved into future years is it's credit card stuff that would have you chasing a bankruptcy lawyer right now. If it was actual real money. John, we'll get into we'll get into that. They deserve um, everything they can get for that preposterous contract. I agree. I'm I'm with you on it. I'm 100%. I take great joy in the in the uh the Browns kind of suffering through the the effects of this contract. No question about it. It was a bad trade. We'll talk more about that in in just a minute here. As far as the Texans go, John, a couple things before we get into the pregame six-pack. Den, uh Denzel Perryman suspension reduced from 3 games down to 2. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I wasn't surprised that he was suspended when it was his seventh violation of a neck or helmet hit. And once he he appealed it, you know they're going to reduce it. They had done that for Crane Jackson. If you do it for one, you're going to do it for the other. I still find it so 
uh, interesting that John Runyon, who was one of the dirtiest players in the NFL, began his career with the Oilers before they moved to the Titans and then he went to Philadelphia, that he is the one that hands out the punishment. And he's tough on these guys like he's supposed to be, but uh, they've got a lot of linebackers. And Christian Harris in particular is playing really well. Blake Cashman's been playing well all season, but I think they can withstand the loss of Perryman. He missed a couple other games because of injuries. Yeah, um, the uh, Seth said the same thing about Runyon. That was the first thing he said when that news broke about Perryman. He's like, I can't believe John Runyon is the one that hands down these punishments. He was the dirtiest, one of the dirtiest players he ever played against. Um, and then uh, uh, Devin Singletary, second straight week, Texans get the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. How about that, John? That was a nice little surprise yesterday. Career high in carries, career high in rushes. He did a great job. Offensive line did a great job. And if 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 Damian Pierce is healthy, I'm still starting Singletary. Yeah, I think so too. Now Pierce missed practice yesterday. I've not seen any reports on if he was out there today. Have you? No. Uh, yeah, I have not either. So he was. So this ankle injury is pretty serious with Damian Pierce for something that everybody said oh, he's just going to rest and then come back. You know, uh, after the bye week or whatever it was. He's been out for a while now with this ankle injury, much the same way he was last year at the end of the Absolutely. year with an ankle injury. That's got to yeah. be troublesome if you have the same injury two years in a row, like Derek Stingley Jr., hamstring this year, hamstring last year. Don't know if that if he had to have surgery on the hamstring, if it was detached from the bone because they're so quiet about what they do. But uh, that, that's got to be worrisome for the coaches about Pierce having the ankle injury. Absolutely. All right, John, you ready to do a little pregame six-pack for this bad boy? All right, let's do it. Pregame six-pack for the Arizona Cardinals. We'll give our prediction at the uh, at the end of the six-pack as well. Six people, position groups, or storylines that impact this game tremendously. We should know here that the spread has been hovering on this game. The lowest I've seen it is Texans minus four. That's where I got it earlier this week. Today, this morning, it was Texans minus four and a half. It got up to five. So that's where we are right now. The Texans are hovering as about a four or five point favorite. I would imagine Kyler Murray's presence in this game has a lot to do with that. If this was a Clayton Toon situation, I'm guessing the Texans are over a touchdown favorite at home against the Cardinals, but they've got their franchise quarterback back for this game. So, John, with that uh, laid out, you are up first, my friend. I'm not going to break it down by position. I'm going to do the whole defense because they've got to keep him bottled up and not let Murray break long runs when his protection breaks down. And Jonathan Grenard and Will Anderson Jr. statistically are the best set of ends at setting the edge. And I can't remember if that's next-gen stats or pro football focus, and they're going to have to be really disciplined about Murray. And I would guess they might have somebody spying on him. Yeah, Maybe Jalen Petrie. I don't know. Petrie's coming off a bad game in which he missed too many tackles. But they're going to have a special plan for Kyler Murray, as they should. And they run the ball pretty well, even before he was back. That's what they did best. So their offense is going to be good. It's going to be a good test for the overall defense that gave up some big pass plays. That's what happens when you're missing three of your top four safeties, and they could be missing them again. Obviously, MJ Stewart, Derek Murray on IR, and uh, Jimmy Ward may miss a second game in a row. And that's why DeAndre Houston Carson stepping up with an interception and seven unassisted tackles was such a, a big deal for the defense. But they can't let Murray find receivers down the field, and they got to keep him contained. 
John, did you just take the whole defense as an item on the six pack? You took one whole side of the football. I did. Well, you can still break it down into. All right, well, I'm going to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna play off about, of, because mine was all about Murray. Kyler Murray. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna dovetail off of what you just said. I want to hone in on that spy part of the whole thing, putting a spy on him. He is the type of quarterback you need to put a spy on him. Um, when they won the game last week against Atlanta, it wasn't because. Drew Petzig, their offensive coordinator, was scheming up a bunch of plays to go have have them drive down and get a field goal, unlike the Texans. They got down there because Kyler Murray had a big scramble on a third and 10 that was vintage Kyler Murray where he runs backwards for about 15 yards so that he can run forward for 25 and get a first down. And then the play that put them in field goal position was Kyler just throwing a ball up to Trey McBride, the tight end, who may find his way into this six-pack at some point as well. Um so I think the spy on Kyler, especially obviously for the scrambling part of it more than anything else, and that's why I will get specific, and I would say Blake Cashman would be my guy. That would be the guy that I would have as the, the spy on, on Kyler Murray. I think he's got the athleticism to do it. I think he's got the discipline to do it, and I think he's been one of their best tacklers this year, which is a big key. That's why Petrie would scare me as a spy for Kyler Murray. Petrie's tackling. John, he's been in position to do things. He was in position to do things last week. His tackling is still – suspect this year and that that's that's disappointing to me absolutely i talked to blake cashman in the locker room on uh, wednesday mm-hmm. and asked him because I, t- I pointed out you were hurt your entire career with the jets you were on our and then you got here i said has something changed and he said as soon as he came to houston they started telling him about things that he should do about all the soft tissue injuries that he had. And he says he's put a lot of time into it and it takes a lot of time to constantly be working on your body, but it's worked. He's been able to stay healthy. Got a, I think, didn't he get an extension? Uh, yeah. Well, for this year. Yeah. 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 And so uh, he's very, very happy, very fit. And I think that's just so interesting that one team would have him do something that another team did not. Yeah, well, hopefully he can pass some of those tricks of the trade for soft tissue injuries on to Derek Stingley Jr. That would be sweet if he could do that. What's your next one, John? It's got to be C.J. Stroud. I don't think he can continue to be Superman every game. Now, he had three turnovers, two of which were legitimate. That fumble was just preposterous and should have been an incompletion. But uh, I think that as long as he doesn't turn the ball over, like he did, and I think the odds are against him doing it two two games in a row and him just continue to make the plays down the field. I'm blown away at how well they throw the ball down the field. I was listening to NFL radio this week, and a guy I know who's been on there a lot was talking about they don't ask Stroud to do too much in that offense, and I'm saying, obviously, you're not paying any attention. No. Because they no. ask him to do so much in that offense. He's not going to keep averaging 400 yards a game. I think they'd take 260 or 270 with no turnovers, a couple touchdown passes. So I'm going to say Stroud's going to have to make sure he outplays Kyler Murray. John, I'll give you some numbers that will back up uh, that will make you feel good if that's one of your keys. The, uh, the Arizona Cardinals' pass defense is they give up 101 passer rating to opposing quarterbacks. That is 31st in the NFL. Um, they allow over 26 points per game. That is 28th in the NFL. They are 29th in the NFL on allowing third down conversions, which C.J. Stroud is one of the best third down converters in the NFL and maybe the best rookie third down converter that I have ever seen in my life. So it lines up nicely for your six-pack pick to do good things there. 
That bodes very well for the offense in general and, of course, Stroud in particular. Yep. So I'm going to add to that, John, with my next one, Nico Collins. Nico's back at practice this week. When I heard Nico might have been able to have played last week, but they're, I'm guessing, being cautious because he's been injury prone. Um, but he's back at practice. He's going to play on Sunday. John, he's got to have watched these last couple weeks, both the game he played in against Tampa Bay and the one he watched from the sidelines against Cincinnati and said to himself, I want in on this party, man. We had a 470-yard passing performance against Tampa Bay, and they had three guys get 100 yards in that game, and I wasn't one of them. And then he's sitting and he's watching – He's watching Noah Brown get a buck 72. Noah Brown, of all people, getting a buck 72 and Tank Dell piecing the Bengals defense. And, you know, Dalton Schultz is getting things done again with 71 yards receiving. Nico Collins is healthy and he has had some big games this year. And I think he wants in on this party. So, Nico Collins, my pick is for Nico Collins. He is this week's 100 yard receiver because he's too tired. He's, he's very tired of watching all these other guys pile up all these stats. Noah Brown leads the league in average yards per catch. The Texans are one of – they're the only team in the league that has four players, including Schultz, who are in the top 25 in yards. Man. And number one is Collins. Number two is Dale. Three is Brown. Four is Schultz. Mm -hmm. Those guys, think about where we thought they were wide receiver-wise to start the season. Now Collins and Brown outside, both big, both block like crazy. Tank Dale moving around from the slot, swapping with Noah Brown, putting Brown in the slot, and then with Dalton Schultz catching and blocking his butt off. Yeah. That receiver group coached by Ben McDaniels has done a tremendous job. I still see a lot of people, John, like, what's up with John Mechie? How come John Mechie isn't getting on the field? And my feeling on that is two things. One, to your point, you look, you just named off a bunch of guys and, and add Robert Woods in there too, who's, you know, back healthy again. It's weird to say, but it's hard for Mechie to get on the field right now because these guys are playing so well in front of him. Secondly, when Mechie has gotten on the field, he's actually done some things the last couple of weeks. He's made some some catches in some crucial situations. He made a couple catches in that Bengals game, one that got him down in the shadows of the goalpost there at about the five-yard line. And Mechie blocks his ass off when he's in the game, too. He's a really good blocker. So I, I'm fine with, given how, I mean, it's it's hard to complain about anything with the passing offense. I'm not going to sit here and complain about Mechie when they're putting up 300 yards a game passing offense. One one of the things, um, when I went back and, and watched uh, the game a couple of times, and when a guy makes a big play down the field, they usually take him out immediately, let him catch mm -hmm. his breath. Or if his guy's been blocking somebody, knocked him on the ground, they'll pull him out because they've got other guys ready to go. So really, if you think about the wide receivers, they're five deep. And if Xavier Hutchinson got to play, they'll tell him what he'd be able to do. He yeah, it's nice. Get playing time. If he's in the game, I'm thinking end around. Yeah, no kidding, right? He's he's run a couple this year, and they've looked really, really good. All right, what's your last one for the six-pack, John? It's the offensive line continuing to run block the way it did against Cincinnati. I know the Bengals were bad coming in, 27th, I believe, but the Panthers were 31st. Now they ran for 110. So I think if the, they continue to run block and Devin Singletary can, can plant that foot and go, pick up the right holes, make, make some – he's got some moves – and uh, plus the fact, you know, he's small, but man, 30 carries, he didn't flinch. So the run blocking, I think, is still paramount to what they want to accomplish on offense. They were good pass blocking, too, the offensive line. They only allowed one sack on 41 dropbacks against the, the Bengals uh, last week. So they've been, they've been solid all year protecting uh, CJ in the passing game, but they were really solid last week. So, yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully more of that.
on uh, on Sunday. All right, my last one, John. This is similar to um, similar to coming out of the bye week uh, against Carolina. I think one of my six pack items. I think my last six pack item was how do the Texans handle having read their own press clippings for two weeks about how amazing they've been? And they obviously, I, I hesitate to say they didn't handle it well because I don't think that was the reason they lost to Carolina. Like I didn't, like I didn't, I, they just executed poorly on offense. And I thought Bobby Slow had called just a horrendous game, that game with all the, all the runs on first and second down, very predictable. Um, I didn't think effort was a huge issue. They made some mistakes in that game. So I, you know, they, so I think they, as far as like they reading their own press clippings, yeah, they lost that game. I don't know that that was the reason, but I think similarly now it's you know similar dynamic. They've won two in a row. CJ is the toast of the league. Like literally, he is the toast of the league right now. Their offense is being talked about like one of the most prolific high flying offenses in the NFL. God, when has that happened in Houston? That's been a decade mm-hmm. since we've been talking about the Texans offensively like this. And, um, and just so, so I will be curious to see, do they come out fast, especially at home? Do they come out fast in this game? What, what does this look like? What's the start of this game look like? Do they let Arizona hang around in this game? I know the spread's only four and a half, five, so it's not a big, big spread, but the Texans are clearly the more talented football team. I think they're the better coached football team. They're by far the more explosive football team and the most, the more complete football team in all three phases of the game. This is a game that, I, in my opinion, this is a game they should win by two scores. Absolutely. Get on them early. So how do the Texans come out in this game, having looked so good the last couple of games? Do they come out a little sluggish, or do they come out ready to put their foot on the throat? Because I think if they come out fast, I don't think they're going to let Arizona hang around very long in this game on well, If Sunday. they do come out sluggish, Sean, I think what we're going to see is the crowd will have an effect on this game, uh, exhorting them. Uh, if that happens, but I would think the adrenaline will be flowing because there should be a good crowd. Yeah. And uh, I don't think for a minute every seat's going to be filled because they never are. But right. the, if they win this game, that Jacksonville game ought to be the actual most most fans they've had in the stands. But I think the crowd, just like in the last game when they had the great comeback against Tampa, they were uh, proud, loud and proud, and they, they could have an effect on the game. What's your prediction? I'm taking the uh, Texans to win 27 to 23. Oh, okay. Wow. So you think this thing's going to hang right around the spread. You see a close game on Sunday. I hope I'm wrong, but they had that big game in Cincinnati. They got a big one coming up against Jacksonville. So we'll see how they handle the success and if if they're looking ahead. Well, to be clear, I hope you're right. Like I'll take a 27-23 win. Um, If I were betting on the game, which I did, um, I got it at minus four. I don't know that I'd root for your final score. A push is better than a loss, I would say. But if I had minus four and a half, I'll tell you right now, I would hate it if they finished 27-23 for sure. But I'll take a win. I'll take a dub. I'm going to go 31-20 in this game. I think the Texans win by two scores. I think they win by double digits. And I don't think they let Arizona really put a scare into them on Sunday. So, um, so John and I both have the Texans winning this game. I've got them winning and covering fairly handily in this game. All right, uh, John, you ready to do a few for real or Fugazi's before we get out of here? I'm ready. All right, let's do it for real or Fugazi. We do this segment every Thursday. I've got several sentences in front of me. I will read them to the great John McClain as if they are facts. If he agrees that they are fact or he thinks the opinion is valid, he will say for real. He thinks the opposite of that, that, uh, these are either false or it's a bad take or he disagrees with it. He says, Fugazi. Fugazi. That's Italian for counterfeit or fake. 
Um, all right, John, let's do this. C.J. Stroud, as of right now, is the MVP of the National Football League. As of right now, for real. Man. As of right now. So, so the season ended today, he would get your MVP vote. He would, but uh, I don't think he's going to have a prayer because had no no rookies won MVP since 57. They ain't no, no, nobody's won it from a not a – let's see. Going back to 2012, every MVP's come from a division champion. The last one it didn't was Adrian Peterson, who's also the last – non-quarterback to win it but i don't think he'll win it but i think when now that the voters turn in five people he'll be in the top five and uh if he can keep it up and and the team can continue to win yeah i think the biggest thing is that i think it's them winning in the division because when we go well the rookies just haven't won it since jim brown i would uh, my first question would be okay tell me what rookie was supposed to have won the mvp that everybody's up in arms about through the years you know like which which rookie would got screwed in an MVP voting, CJ's doing things that guys haven't done before. You know what I mean? Like he and John, he's doing it in a year where quarterback play is down around the NFL. Like CBSSports.com does their power rankings of quarterbacks each week. You know, based on the body of work for the entire season, CJ's number one on that right now. Number two is Jalen Hurts, who's been good this year. Mahomes is up there, but by the time in Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen's fifth. And I looked at him like Josh Allen's not had a good year. They're five and five. He leads the league in interceptions. But then you start to look at who's sixth and who's seventh and who's eighth. Like you, you do the back of the top ten, and it's Dak Prescott and Brock Purdy. When Kirk Cousins was healthy, he's hanging around in that area. It's Joe Burrow's in that spot. CJ outplayed Joe Burrow last week. Uh, quarterback play as a whole is not great around the NFL this year. I, I think there's a chance you could get a non-quarterback winning MVP if Christian McCaffrey keeps putting up numbers. I think that the quarterbacks are going to step up. They're elite. It's that time of year when they get serious about the playoffs, crunch time. I think Nick Casario has a better chance of winning executive of the year and D'Amico coach of the year than Stroud does as MVP. I would agree with that for sure. Yeah. I mean, they're both D'Amico's number two on the odds board right now with Dan Campbell. I would agree with that. Um, and Nick's had a, a nice season as well, obviously. Um, John, for real or Fugazi, we know Deshaun Watson. Uh, is out for the season and they have pushed so much money into future years. John, his cap hit the next three seasons is $64 million in each season. And there's still 9 million sitting in a dummy year after the contracts over that they get, that they're going to get hit with John for real or Fugazi that Sean watching trade right now is the worst trade in NFL history. Fugazi, the worst trade in NFL history was the Cowboys and the Vikings that led to three, three Super Bowls and all these, Jimmy Johnson could not say when the trade was made that these veteran players he took in the an eight, I think it was eight part package, yeah. that if he cut them, he got picks for them. I can't remember why that was. Jimmy talked about that on a football live, mm-hmm. and he turned it into players like Emmett Smith and a lot of stars that helped him win those Super Bowls. That'll always be the worst trade in NFL history. I think this is the worst contract in NFL history. That's being proved every year, and it's going to cause them big problems. And uh, But uh, the way it's turned out, depending on you know the first player they got for him, Kenyon Green, ah, they didn't do anything with that. Yeah. And Damian Pierce, you know, Damian Pierce, that looked great. He looked great last year, and they still have a one and a four. But I think uh, it'll it'll – we'll have to see what the Texans do, but – it's turning out to be really bad for the Yeah, players. I view the contract as part of the trade. I mean, if there's no trade, there's no contract. And 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 
for the Browns to have pulled off that trade, they had to give Deshaun that deal. You know, they he was that's the only way he was going there was with a fully guaranteed deal. So I guess some of it's in how you view it. I view the contract as being part of the trade. Um, all right, next one, John. Um, there is noise out there that the Texans could have their week 14 game against the Jets flexed onto Monday night football. The Giants and the Packers are scheduled to face each other at MetLife Stadium that Monday night. It would be a very easy thing for the league to do to flip the Texans to Monday because it's the same stadium. Nobody's got to change travel plans. And you get C.J. Stroud on a national stage, the biggest story in the NFL right now. For real or for Gazy, Texans-Jets is going to get flexed to Monday Night Football in Week 14. Gazy, I think if they did it, it would have to be with Aaron Rodgers back. I don't think Rodgers is coming back. And I haven't looked at the other games that could be. And I feel bad for fans because I know some fans who've made arrangements to go up there. Now they got to worry about having to change their hotel and change their their plane trip home. Uh, but it would certainly be great exposure for the Texans if the league doesn't does do it. But because the Jets are so bad and Zach Wilson is so pathetic, I can't imagine they want to put him on TV any more than he's already been. Well, John, but the, the flip side is, and, and okay, unless there's another game that they could flip to it. I mean, the, some of the story here is the convenience of it being MetLife Stadium, uh, you know, that you can just slide them right in there. Um, I you know, Even without Aaron Rodgers, like I would think, you know, CJ, first of all, Zach Wilson's bet. He's, he's Tommy DeVito makes Zach Wilson looks like Johnny Unitas. Um, and, and, and getting CJ Stroud onto, onto Monday night football, isn't such a bad thing, you know, no, I, not at all. And they're going to, they're going to flex it. I just don't think it'll be them if the jets are don't have Aaron Rodgers. Back. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Um, let's see here, John. Um, I've got two more for you here. Um, Bill Belichick, it seems like when not, if they're going to fire him or part ways with Bill Belichick at the end of the year in new England. For real or Fugazi, Bill Belichick will be coaching somewhere in 2024. I believe he will. There's uh, somebody quoted sources saying it's going to be the Chargers. I've seen another one. He's going to go to the Raiders, and then Brady will be one of his bosses. And then there's talk about Mike Florio's been floating it out there for uh, Washington. Chicago's trying to get a new stadium. Would that get people fired up? I don't know that I'd be real fired up if I had Belichick coming in there because he's got a terrible record without Brady and I'm not saying he's not the greatest coach ever, but he's 72. He's got to make over an organization to get, to make sure they know he is in charge of absolutely everything. And you can't do that overnight. It takes two, a couple of three years. Then you got to hit a home run with a sixth round draft choice because he's got to have his quarterback and the person that reported about the Chargers, Gary Myers, said he likes the West Coast and he likes the idea of coaching a team with a lot of talent and a quarterback like Justin Herbert. But we'll see. It's certainly going to be interesting. And uh, he spent his whole career either in the Midwest, Northeast Ohio and then in, in New York and New England. So if he goes West, it'll certainly be culture change for him. No doubt. Last one, John. Astros related. The MVP – Voting is going to get announced today. It looks like Shohei Otani, I'm guessing, is a lock to win the American League MVP. But Kyle Tucker is going to finish pretty high up the board. I would guess he's going to finish third or fourth in the MVP voting. John, for real or Fugazi, Kyle Tucker gives the Astros their best chance at an MVP for the AL in 2024. Um, Fugazi, I think that uh, Jordan Alvarez 
if he could actually play more, more games, a few, even a few more, if he could stay healthy, I think he would be number one. Tucker, of course, he's going to get a monster contract. I'd be shocked if he signs back here. There's talk about somebody put Bregman could get $300 million from somebody. I don't think so. See you later. And uh, so uh, they've got big decisions to make. Dana Brown and Jim Crane, when it comes to the finances, Dana Brown got a lot. He was there in Atlanta when they got a lot of guys signed to extensions, and they paid them what was good money at the time. Now they look like pretty good deals, kind of like they did here with Altuve, Bregman, and Alvarez. But uh, I think it'd be when I think it would be Alvarez first yeah. and Tucker second. Me too. Uh, Jordan's numbers are insane, even for just 112 games last year. 97 RBIs in 112 games. He's uh he is freaking and that John he went a, like a month without hitting he missed like thirty eight games or forty eight games and remember he came back from one of the injuries he went like a month without hitting a home run like eighteen games nineteen games without hitting a home run he still wound up with thirty home runs and ninety seven RBIs Tucker Bregman or Iron Man if he could yeah. he doesn't have to play one sixty but if he could just play one forty five or one fifty yeah. he might hit fifty home runs driving. Yeah. 150 runs. I agree. I agree. All right, John, what do you got going on on the website, sportsradio610.com? I'm working on a column with Warren Moon talking about uh, Stroud, who he's been watching since he was a sophomore at Ohio State, and Stroud telling me when he was little, his dad made him watch games of the Oilers because he said Warren Moon throws the best, most, uh, the best ball, and I want you to watch how he does it and emulate him. Good stuff. SportsRadio610.com. That's where you can get all of John's stuff. John, uh, appreciate it as always. Uh, enjoy the game Sunday. I will talk to you out just outside Bud Light Plaza for Texans Countdown at 11.15 a.m. I look forward to it, Sean. Thank you very much. All right, good stuff. That's John McClain and uh, James Jackson, of course, our producer, getting the podcast out to all of you. Click that subscribe button. You'll get it automatically. And you don't have to worry about anything. and You don't have to do anything. You just hit subscribe. You're going to get Utopia automatically. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com is our email address. Send us a mail, mailbag question. We uh, we hit the mailbag every Tuesday on the show. So H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. For James Jackson and John McClain, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. Enjoy the game on Sunday, everybody, at NRG Stadium. Cardinals and the Texans will be with you Sunday night with the follow-up, the recap of the game on our next episode. Have a great weekend.